A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which he called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that just happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, one of the things he told them to pray is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a few things we could note there. One is Jesus there alludes to these two realms, earth and heaven. Uh, he also seems to assume a certain goodness about God and God's will and God's ways, that when God's ways are followed, that that's good. But there also implied in that is a separation, that there is a realm where God's will is followed, but on earth, it doesn't seem to be. 
And what are the evidences of that? Well, look around the world. In every generation, there's war, and there's abuse, and there's theft, and there's manipulation, and all of these things that lead to suffering, that lead to difficulty. Uh, there's something about our world where God's ways are not followed, and that causes problems. And so there's a separation in these realms. There's the, the heavenly realm, and there's the earthly realm. One of the things we're celebrating at Christmas is Jesus comes into the world to try to bring things together, to bring something of the reality of this heavenly realm into the earth where we live. And you see that in what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, what Christians have understood to be unique about who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God. Uh, Jesus came into the world as one who was, the Bible claims, with God in the beginning, and yet he enters the world as we all do, through birth. And there, in his very person, in his very being, heaven and earth are together. He's a human being, but he's divine. Now, in the story we're looking at today, Jesus is a baby, so he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He's just present, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And yet, the story about him, uh, all of the circumstances surrounding his birth, remind us that something is happening where these two realms are coming together, the heavenly, the earthly. And as we consider that this morning, I want to look at the angels... Our opening hymn was Angels from the Realm of Glory and the Shepherds, ordinary human beings who work here on the earth. Um, that's, that's how the story is coming together. So I want to talk about angels, shepherds, and then the baby. To talk about how the Christmas story is God starting to bring things together that's leading to healing and peace and new possibilities. And so I'm going to begin with the angels. Now, as you think about angels, what do you picture? Christmas season, maybe some of you, the top of a Christmas tree, there's an angel, or if you've been on the stores on Fifth Avenue, angels are often figured as uh, these, you know, human figures with wings in their back, maybe playing some brass kind of instrument. Um, in the Bible, it's hard to tell exactly what the angels look like, but the angels are often in the Bible, they're God's servants, but they're there's something military about how they're often presented. So, for example, in this passage, in verse 13, it talks about a multitude of heavenly hosts. That word host throughout the Old Testament, hard word to translate. If you've ever sang the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and you've wondered what we sang when we said, Lord Sabaoth, his name, what a weird thing. Sounds like Sabbath, but it's not Sabbath. Lord Sabaoth, Hebrew word, for, we don't know how to translate it, often gets translated hosts, this, this large multitude. But there's a, there's a contemporary translation by Eugene Peterson uh, that translates it the, the uh, angel armies. And the word host seems to have a military implication. So, so here these, this angel shows up, and therefore it's not surprising, one of the first things he needs to say in verses 9 to 10, it says, they were filled with great fear. Let's see if she just descended from heaven, blew a trumpet. Uh, that's sort of awe-inspiring, but not terrifying. But instead, the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And 
news or deliveries when they come in the city. If you get a, a bell ringing or a door knocking, somebody with an Amazon vest or the United States Postal Service. In Manhattan, the Marine Corps is not too active. So when I see the Marine Corps, it's, it's on news, it's in movies. If I got a knock on the door and there were four Marines with guns and they said, we have something that we need to tell you, I would be very concerned. It would be helpful if they said, do not be afraid. We come with news of peace. Uh, that's not exactly capturing this, but it's something to say there's this angel appearing that um, to understand what's happening, it's clear uh, that they were terrified, the shepherds. And, and there's the one angel, but suddenly, verses 13 and 14, with the angel is a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, and they're saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And certainly anything that resembles an army coming and saying peace is very helpful. That's one of the reasons they shouldn't be afraid because the angels of God are coming, but unlike the armies of Rome or the armies of this world, they're not coming to conquer, they're coming to announce peace. And so these very fearful shepherds are told, take it easy, God's peace is being announced. And so the army functions more like a choir. And so that signals that something different is happening here. And, and what's happening in this, uh, verse 9, God's glory shines around them. What is it that separates the heavenly and the earthly realms? Well, numerous things. Well, God's will is not being fully done on earth. At times it is, but in so many ways it's not. But there's something about this earthly existence that lacks a number of things. And one of the things we lack is this glory, this radiance. What was it that these shepherds saw with this angelic army who came to announce peace? Well, one of the things they saw was glory. And, and it's interesting how many of us probably are longing for something that the word glory probably would describe what it is would satisfy our souls, and yet yet we just don't have. Uh, for the kids that are with us, I don't know if you remember being maybe three and what Christmas was like when you were that age, but as a parent, buying presents for a three-year-old is pretty easy. Kids get pretty excited about lots of things, and so we were those parents that would try to bombard our kids with all sorts of gifts like a tube of toothpaste, and a three-year-old just opening it, it's toothpaste, amazing, I love toothpaste. Now, if you're seven or eight, you probably have noticed a pattern here, which is every time you go to the bathroom, for many families, toothpaste is there, and in fact, your parents are invested enough in your brushing your teeth that even if you don't love the toothpaste, they are going to want you to brush your teeth. So at Christmas, trying to pass off toothpaste as a present, you have the awareness at seven or eight years old, this is not something that's going to get me excited. But the interesting thing is at seven and eight, there's actually fewer things that get you excited, but there are still things that are exciting. One of the weird things about getting older, shopping for adults is really hard. Now it's like we've got the whole of New York City and the internet. What do I buy somebody that they would receive and be excited about? 
there's something weird about aging that it's, it's just nothing actually is satisfying. Where is the joy of Christmas? Where is the, the sense of giving? And it's, oh, well, thank you, this is good. But there's something about aging where, where the ordinariness of the world, the magic, just sort of goes until just nothing's exciting. There's, there's this longing, there's something missing. What we're told is that there's this realm with, with joy and with uh, gladness, and, and there's something lacking of that in our earthly existence. In this first Christmas story, it breaks through in a way that the, that the shepherds see it. These angels from the realm of glory, with glory, a radiance around them, singing a song, and then they're sent to Bethlehem. So this is interesting. The shepherds get the angels in the glory. Bethlehem gets the shepherds. Not quite as glorious. So let's move from the angels to the shepherds. So the shepherds are ordinary people, but now they become messengers. The angels were messengers, a message from heaven. Here's what God wants you to know. Songs, glory. Now here's a group of shepherds showing up in Bethlehem. Um, Many of you are from different places, but if you're living here in the city, not a lot of exposure to shepherding here. And so if you're a Bible reader, shepherds are really important in the story of the Bible. Moses was tending sheep and was called to lead God's people out of Egypt. David, a young boy among the sheep. There's this glorious tradition about shepherding that's very significant. But in the first century, shepherds were not necessarily esteemed individuals from a career perspective. You know, they spend their time out in the wilderness, away from people. They weren't cultural influencers. You know, Psalm 8, what is humanity that you're mindful of us? You made mankind a little bit lower than the angels. And yet, uh, in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, humankind, a little bit lower than the angels in fellowship with God, they go out of the Garden of Eden wearing animal skins. They're just a little bit above the animals. And there are the shepherds that they spend their time not talking, not uh, working with mathematical equations. It's a lot of skill in shepherding, but it involves pushing, <laughs> striking. It involves relating in nonverbal ways. It involves coming back from the field, smelling like the animals. And now they show up in Bethlehem. We have a message from heaven. And uh, again, in the Bible, shepherds are important, but Jesus in John says, I am the good shepherd. Not everybody in the first century thought shepherds were good, respected them. They thought they were kind of these rough and tumble, maybe not necessarily honest guys. Um, and here they show up and they say, we have a message that a child born in Bethlehem uh, is the savior, the king. And so they have this sign uh, that is to confirm it. So verses 10 and 11, they have this news announced to them of great joy unto you, born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you read the Bible, these are significant words. Uh, who's going to come and help us? Who's going to lead? Who's going to rule over us? In this world that's gone astray, is there anyone that will, that will show us that God he hears and cares? Uh, that announcement today, this one has been born, quite significant. And so, so in verse 12, they're told, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Did you ever ask yourself, 
you know, God, give me a sign, and maybe what you want is an angel who appears and sings to you. Um, here's the sign. You'll find a baby dressed in swaddling clothes. And every Christmas we talk about how that could be significant. I'm not going to get into that today. It's kind of ordinary. I think for the, the shepherd, the sign would be, here's the angelic army with glory. <laughs> if you want to know something unusual is happening, that's the sign. It's kind of like with Zechariah in the previous chapter. An angel appears and says to Zechariah, your uh, wife will conceive and give birth to a child. And he says, how do I know these things will be? And the answer is, I'm Gabriel, the angel. Like you're talking to an angel, and so if you would like a sign, here's a sign. You won't be able to speak for nine months, and then we'll see the next time you ask for a sign. And so, so here's the sign is, I'm, a, I'm Gabriel, I'm an angel talking to you. Here the shepherds have the, you know, this, this glorious announcement, but a sign is given, and the sign here is, is not the miraculous sign to show that this crazy claim is true, because the miraculous sign was the presence of the messengers. Uh, for them, it's, it's the history coming together that as God sends you in advance, you will find things as he has prepared it. So it wouldn't be unlike somebody saying, go to the corner of 122nd and Amsterdam Avenue, and if you go into the building on the southwest corner and take the elevator to the third floor and knock on the door, you'll meet a family, and inside there's a crib with a baby in it. All right, it's more significant than that. But for today, let's just keep it simple. Um, for them being sent wondering what's going on, finding things as it was explained. The, the main thing they're there to say is, we're here to identify this child, the Savior, the King, found, as we were told, a baby in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So they show up and they realize uh, this is the one that was announced. And it says the people wondered. Verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You can imagine being there and shepherds arriving and looking around and finding this baby and saying, angels just appeared to us and announced that this is the long-awaited Savior, the King. The people wondering, um, some of them, I imagine, were marveling, what is this? Is, are things really come together? Are God's promising, promises being fulfilled? I imagine if I was there, I would be wondering how to know if this is believable. <laughs> You're telling me you were in the middle of the, the fields at, in the middle of the night and you saw an angel. Um, two in the morning, were you awake? Were you sleeping? Uh, what else were you shepherds doing out in the field that might uh, explain this unusual claim? I think lots of skepticism could be applied there. Uh, this is quite a claim. These shepherds showing up saying actually, there's been a divine appearance announcing that a king was born, and we were told to come, and this baby fits the description. They all wonder. Um, but it's interesting, it says that Mary, in verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Uh, her wonder, she's treasuring. It's striking her differently. Why is it striking her differently? Is it because she's a proud mom and just wants to believe great things about her son? Well, maybe. But keep in mind that just over nine months ago, an angel visited Mary and announced that actually you will uh, conceive and have a child, and this child will be the Savior. This child will be the King. And what sign did she need? <laughs> uh, the pregnancy that otherwise isn't explained. And so now shepherds showing up from the outside saying, uh, angels appear to us 
and said, this child is the king. Angels already appeared to her, told her that her child would be the king. Here's an outside confirmation. For Mary, it would be easier to believe these shady shepherd types. Maybe the rest of Bethlehem needed some other convincing, needed Mary to come out and say, I know you're not going to believe this, but actually an angel visited me. But here it is. God tells his story, a heavenly message breaking into earth, peace, joy to all people, announced to the angels. But then it's passed on through shepherds. It's passed on to us through Luke. So he's a physician. Maybe you respect that more than a shepherd, but he was a human being. He wrote these things in the first century. And we have this story that says God actually delivers this announcement of peace. It came from the heavenly realms, mediated through angels, but it's recorded for us on paper via a scribe. Now you could read it on the internet. That same message announcing joy and peace. It's a hard message to believe, but, but did history really come together in this moment to say God is working all things so that God's glory can break in and God's peace can enter your life. The Christmas story is saying that's exactly what's happening. So the last thing I want to look at is this baby. So Jesus is in the story. He has not yet done anything. He won't do anything uh, worth recording for many years. So Luke will pick up uh, the story with him being an adult. But, But the context is important. Verse one, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, all of the world. So here you have the king of all of the world. And you could see his power by Mary and Joseph who lived in the north in Nazareth. I could imagine them requesting an exemption. Uh, Joseph saying, Mary here is probably due to have a baby in the next two to six weeks. Um, Could we go and take the census in maybe two or three months. Can we send a representative? Could one of our families go and vouch for us? Well, Caesar Augustus said, you need to go to where your family is from. And so what choice do you have when you're sort of a poor, non-influential family under an empire? So they go. And yet we find that somehow God is using these things for this, this story of, of all of the, the, the story of God's people broken apart. The people of Judah were not meant to live up in Nazareth. <laughs> what were Mary and Joseph doing there? And yet history is now bringing them back to Bethlehem where David was. These shepherds that are out in the field, and yet the story of one day Samuel showing up and looking among the shepherds and finding David. uh, Things are coming together. The story of God's broken apart people are about to be united. um, But but God is, is working within this world that's ruled by Caesar Augustus. Now, in ancient history, Caesar Augustus was quite a significant figure. And he's the one that turned Rome from being a republic to being an empire. Uh, He was the one that said, actually, we are going to take over the world. And so the census was likely part of that kind of thing. Caesar Augustus, when his father died, he declared his father was divine, making him a son of God. Uh, He was the one that said Rome's mission is to advance peace on the earth. So here's Caesar Augustus, the king of all of the kings, the one who rules over all the nations, the one who says he would bring peace. And it's such an interesting story that here you have a poor family where there's no, no place for them, uh, and they're forced to travel at this time of year in pregnancy, and this baby is born. And yet a message from heaven says, actually, 
the true one who will bring peace, the true king of the kings, the true one who will advance a kingdom over the earth that will be without end. He's not the one in the palace. He's the one in the manger. It's quite a remarkable story that reminds us that things are not always how uh, they seem to us, that, that there's something that God interprets for us. He draws our attention to this baby and says, if you watch this child and if you follow this one, God's peace will rest on you. If you follow the rulers of the earth, no matter how wealthy they are and good-looking they are, you will not find that they bring you peace. And we need to learn to discern things. I've had numerous lessons in life where I've learned that. One happened in a donut shop. I'm not a very deep and profound person, but uh, my wife, who quite likes donuts and has more experience and knowledge with donuts than uh, than I have. One time we were at this donut place in New Jersey that I'd looked up and was known for having these amazing donuts. So I walk in and on the shelf, it would have like a s'mores donut that had marshmallows and graham crackers and, you know, a caramel swirl. And they would have a Snickers donut that had pieces of Snickers and peanuts and chocolate on it. And they, because they were big, I can only have one. So I thought I'm going to have one. My wife will get another one and then we'll get to share what, which are the two that I want. And she asks for the buttermilk donut. I don't even know what buttermilk is. It's like, I know that butter is made with milk. Is it kind of the milk that didn't quite make it to being butter? And so it's just buttermilk and you're making a donut of it. So when I saw the buttermilk donut, the smallest and plainest of donuts, it was just, just a round, plain looking donut of all of these great donuts. Why the buttermilk donut? And so... There we are, and I had, I forget what I got, and isn't that interesting, I don't even remember. What I had was good. Then I took a bite of her donut, and it was really good. It was just simple and plain, but it was just a good donut. Now, I didn't learn how to reinterpret the entire world through that. This was just one thing, but it's not that, that the simple and the plain is always better than the big and the fancy. But I think in that bias towards always being impressed by more and better, that sometimes you miss that actually the good, the quality, is not as easily discernible unless you happen to know something like what buttermilk is, which I still don't understand. Um, Caesar Augustus, one of the most significant figures of all of history, has the power to, to claim that the whole world should be counted because they belong to him. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about this baby that shepherds claimed there was a divine appearance telling them that this child would be the king of the heavens and the earth, would be the one that would bring peace. But what we find is that this Caesar, Caesar Augustus, likely never heard anything about Jesus. Uh, his successors would have heard about Jesus and would hate his followers and persecute them. But you follow the Roman Empire down, and eventually you have a Caesar who believes that Jesus is a greater king than him. And eventually we have the memory of Rome having been a great empire, having made great contributions, but not being an empire anymore. There is no one with the title Caesar today. You have to go and see Shakespeare's adaptation about Julius uh, to remember the glory days of Rome. And Rome went out with an army that conquered, and Jesus went out with messengers announcing peace. But that kingdom really did cover the whole world. When, when Caesar called the whole world 
to his senses. He had no idea of really how far the world went, but where civilization was. Uh, the kingdom is now announced in every nation under heavens and earth. It's still advancing with an announcement of peace because the one who comes came not to conquer. And he actually faced the armies of Rome as Pontius Pilate, the governor over his pro province, humiliated and crucified him, showing that he would face death for his people so that his people would not be conquered by death or an army. If you're familiar with the gospel stories, as they're coming to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword. And Jesus says, put the sword away. All who live by the sword die by the sword. But then he says, don't you know, I could call a legion of angels? He has that command over the armies of heaven. And yet he doesn't call on them because he would go and he would allow Rome to conquer him so that he would conquer death and that a kingdom of peace could be established in this world. So he could say, if you believe in me, um, I will face the big fearful armies. <laughs> so you could be uh, part of this angelic army that's called to be a choir, to sing of glory. On Christmas, we're remembering that God's will can be done on earth because an announcement has come from heaven through a person who comes from the heavenly realms, who calls us to believe in him and to receive the peace of God so that God's glory and joy comes into our lives so that we could live differently in the world, not going out to conquer with weapons, but going out with good news and inviting all people uh, to understand the peace of God. And that um, makes things very different. Verse 10, I bring you good news of joy that will be for all the people. And it really is for all the people, the people of every nation under heavens and earth, every language, every tribe, every race. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that we're invited into. And so in verse 20, the shepherds returned, having seen these things, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's the possibility of Christmas. It's not what kind of presents we get. It's not what we eat. Enjoy the day as much as you're able. But it's that there is announcement of peace. There is an invitation that you can connect your life with Jesus and, and start to experience something of the glory of God so that there is a praising, a rejoicing that comes from within you and doesn't depend on the things that are outside of you. That's only the kindness, the mercy, the giving of God. And so we are a community that prays for the Spirit of God to open our eyes, to renew our hearts, so that his peace uh, rules in our hearts and then as we set our minds on things above where Christ is seated, we live as citizens of that heavenly realm, even while we're here on earth. People who seek God's peace, who advance God's peace. That's the Christmas message. Um, receive it and, and live out of it in 2023. Let me pray for us. Our Father, all of us are longing for peace. Few of us really understand it. Lord, all of us need glory. Uh, I imagine much of us are uh, instead filled with boredom or anxiety or something that is different. Lord, this Christmas, remind us of the goodness of this good news so that there would be a joy that we have regardless of whatever other challenges we're facing, that within it, that we would understand something of that promise of peace that just comes as a gift because you are kind. Lord, may we all grow in that and may we return to the world in order to announce that and to model it and to be agents of a different kind of kingdom. 
Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, sent to the world to be a king, unlike the kings of the, the, the nations. Lord, may we bring honor and glory and experience that joy in 2023. We pray in his name. Amen.